Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. This is the Bob Cordaro Show podcast. WILK News Radio. We are back. Hour number two. It's 10 a.m. in Northeast Pennsylvania. This Friday, June 9th, 2023, this is the Bob Cadaro Show, and I am he. It is a big day to fight for America, defend our values, and honor the brave who have made us and kept us free. So with history, our great founding fathers, and the incomparable Constitution of the United States of America as our guides, let us continue today's battle. A reminder, this Bob Cadaro Show will always be convincingly conservative, lovingly logical, proudly and passionately patriotic, and reliably right. Let us go to Gavel, the Club for Common Sense, back in session after a brief adjournment for the news. And yes, we will provide you a sanctuary of sanity in what is a, an inexplicably insane world. And people who fought to preserve and served to defend sanity and this great country and this great constitution. Joseph Butters Mancuso of Old Forge. U.S. Army Reserves, became a Union bricklayer, survived by his wife Kathy of 60 years. 60 years. Gerard Brecky of Hazleton, United States Navy, served on the USS Northampton, among other places, but he was in the Navy from 1953 to 1957. He was a welder. William Cover of Avoca. Served during the Vietnam area, re- recipient of a Purple Heart. He was a truck driver, and then he did sales. Survived by his wife, Faye, of 37 years. Tim Welling of Duryea, U.S. Army Reserves, and the National Guard. That occurs a corrections officer at Waymart. His wife, Bert, survives him. Gerald Hoover, Sweet Valley, born Wilkesbury. 101st Airborne, he was a paratrooper, survived by his wife of 64 years, Dorothy. Edward Sinkevich of Old Forge, born Scranton, graduate of Scranton Tech, U.S. Army. Then he worked at Chamberlain Manufacturing. And we want to uh, remind you that the program's brought to you by Pizza Bella Mountaintop. 
The home of the zero-carb pizza crust, now available at Pizza Bella Mountaintop only, Route 309 in Mountaintop. And then our hourly sponsors, the Marjon Golf Course. Uh, I'll be there this weekend looking forward to it and looking forward to hanging out after I play my nine holes. Uh, although the parties for me and Cutie are, are sort of piling up, but we're going to get up there. We'll see if you, this will be your first time golfing. Uh, sister-in-law Joy gave her some clubs, so we're going to see. We'll see. We'll see if she's got the ability to be a golfer. I would. I would like that. And then the Dunmore Lumber Company, six twenty-two South Blakely Street in Dunmore, beat the big box blues. You'll get the quality. You'll get the range of products. You will get service. And on top of that, off the charts compared to the big box, convenience. Drive up front, go inside, see Gary, see Ron, see Michelle, see Daryl, see Hank. Get what you want and go. Isn't that what it's about? All right. Well, you know we have access to one of the great historians that I've run across. And I'm, I'm a history major and a history buff my whole life. And we've run across uh, our friend Rick Bigelow, who's a patent attorney by trade. So if you think you got a great idea, you call Rick. But he's going to talk to us about Midway. Midway took place June 3rd to June 6th, the Battle of Midway. And it was one of the absolutely crucial turning points in the Pacific War during World War II. And uh, Rick Bigelow, great to have you again. Glad to be on, Bob. All right, so tell us about it. We, we've got um, the, the Japanese after Pearl Harbor, and in addition to Pearl Harbor, they just kept winning. Wake Island, Hong Kong, Dutch East Indies, Malaysia, the Philippines, Tarawa, Guam, Singapore, all that. And they also had scored a tactical victory at the Coral Sea. They sunk one of our carriers, the Lexington, you tell me. And Port Moresby, which we honor some of the time at quarter to noon in New Guinea. But uh, but a stalemate, though. And maybe that was the first part of the turning point before we get to Midway. But but tell us. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh the uh, the invasion of Port Moresby was uh, supposed to happen, but it was turned back because of the Battle of the Coral Sea. Uh, but uh, at this point in time, Japan was still seeking the uh, the decisive naval battle, which would more or less render the U.S. Pacific Fleet uh, uh, impotent, and uh, it would take at least a couple years for the uh, the U.S. Navy to reconstitute itself and. And uh, the Japanese were hoping for that one big uh, decisive naval battle to wipe out the carriers, the few carriers that the U.S. had left. And, uh, you know, most of the surface fleet, uh, the battleships and the cruisers, had been destroyed at Pearl Harbor. So that's what they were looking for. Uh, and, and, of course, at, uh, at Pearl Harbor, it was Japan's uh, six-carrier task force, which they called the Kido Butai, uh, had had a smashing success, with two exceptions. As we talked about before, the U.S. carriers had not been in Pearl Harbor during the attack, 
and the dry docks and the oil storage facilities had had not been uh, uh, attacked. There was supposed to be a third attack at Pearl Harbor, but the uh, Japanese admiral didn't know where the uh, U.S. carriers were, so he uh, he decided to retire. That was Admiral Nagumo, and uh, Yamamoto was furious with him, but he couldn't relieve him because he was now a national hero yeah. in Japan. Well, so, Piccolo, let me ask a question that's off-subject, if you know it, but important. How quickly could we build a, a, a major battleship or, or and or destroyer at that time? How long did it take us? I know we really ramped up, but, man, we had to replace essentially a whole fleet. Right. Uh, and and basically, we had started in about 1940 to uh, to increase the uh, the size of the fleet. We had designed new carriers and new battleships and new cruisers that uh, had greater speeds and, and uh, more firepower and so on. But it was going to take six months to a year to get them out into the fleet and, you know, with shakedown cruises and all that. But it takes about two years to, to build a big carrier and about, you know, a year and a half, something like that, for a, a, a battleship. So it would have taken a while. But but way faster than today. I mean, you're talking from conception to construction. You're talking a decade at least now. Yeah, it it takes a long time now. Well, they're much more complex machines too. Uh, the carriers today are they're they're nuclear carriers. So you've got all that nuclear stuff that you have to take care of and and uh, have to be super uh, efficient and super careful with the design of the engineering plants and so I, on. And but so I, forth. I just can't, uh, again, to continue to keep you off track because we're going to take a break, I, I cannot erase from my mind the, the possible parallels between a conflict with China and this conflict with the Japanese. A quick strike knocks out, I mean, their own our own war games showed this knocked out a number of surface ships, a couple of carriers, and we had to rebuild and reconstitute just as we did in World War II in the war games. The the concern I have is that versus the Chinese, would we be able to reconstitute fast enough to even make a difference? Uh, that is a very good question. I, I think one thing that the Chinese learned from World War II is uh, you go in big right away. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I will say one thing. I think our our submarine fleet is a, a huge deterrent. Okay, our, and, and our submarine right that. That, that we didn't have that at that time. Yeah. All right. Well, Rick, we're going to take a break. We're talking with Rick Bigelow. Battle of Midway is the subject. We're going to come back. We're going to get right into the battle, which was the turning point in the Pacific Theater. Rick Bigelow, our guest, when we return to the Bob Cadaro Show. That's right. Shut up and spring, uh, sing, Bruce. June 9th, 1972, Bruce Springsteen signed with Columbia Records and started recording Greetings from Asbury Park. Murph chose Spirit in the Night. And before that, the Rogers Commission, that was former Secretary of State Rogers, uh, released its report on the Challenger disaster, criticizing NASA and rocket builder Morton Thiokol for management problems leading to the explosion. That killed seven astronauts, and many of us remember that. 
So we're talking with Big Rick Bigelow about <coughs> about the Battle of Midway. We've we've got ourselves to that point. Let's get right into the battle, Rick Bigelow. Okay, uh, Midway is uh, about thirteen hundred miles from northwest of Honolulu. Just a small atoll, about two square miles. But the Navy had had a uh, a, a naval base there since 1940. Yamamoto figured if he could take that island, uh, he could uh, put Army-based uh, long-range bombers on there and pretty much control Hawaii from there. He also hoped that by attacking it, he would draw the U.S. carriers out and uh, engage them and defeat them in that uh, big naval battle that the Japanese were always looking for. Uh, we knew they were coming because we had uh, broken the Japanese naval code, uh, and there was a, there was a lot of uh, dispute between the uh, intelligence people in Washington and the intelligence people in Honolulu about whether the attack was going to be in the Aleutians or if it was going to be uh, again in the Coral Sea or if it was going to be at Midway, and uh, finally the uh, the People in Honolulu convinced everybody it was going to be at Midway. So Nimitz moved his carriers north and east of Midway to wait for uh, the Japanese uh, carrier task force and the, uh, the big surface uh, action that was coming after it. So on, on June 2nd, um, the, uh, the Japanese force, which had four fleet carriers, remember they were supposed to have six, but two of them, because of the action at Coral Sea, had to go back to Tokyo for repairs or to reconstitute their air group. They now, had two battleships. Uh, yeah. Now, Rick Bigelow, did, did the Japanese forces organize the way we did in carrier uh, uh, battle groups? Uh, was it very similar or identical, or, or, or what was their array? Uh, associated with the four uh, aircraft carriers they they prepared to use at Midway? Well, I I think one of the keys is uh, of the two carriers that had to go back to Japan, one was was damaged and it had to be repaired. The other one really wasn't damaged, but their air group had lost so many uh, aviators and planes uh, that they had to go back to to reconstitute their air group. The, The way they did it was, an air group was assigned to a carrier, and that was it. They weren't flexible enough to have uh, air groups from another carrier uh, go to that uh, the the carrier where the air group had been okay. uh, decimated. We could do that. We were flexible enough to do that. So, what you was know, the one, what was the array of ships on each side? Four aircraft ter- carrier task forces for uh, the Japanese. What right. did what did we have to oppose them? We had three carriers, um, and we also had what's known as an unsinkable aircraft carrier, and that was the uh, the landing strip on Midway itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nimitz, Nimitz had, uh, since we knew they were coming to Midway, he had sent a, a lot of planes from Hawaii and other bases to Midway, so it was packed with uh, with aircraft. So. In terms of sheer numbers, it was pretty much a, a fair fight, but the Japanese airplanes and their pilots at this point in time uh, were far superior. The, the, the Japanese Zero was a great fighter, and uh, early on in the battle, it just decimated the U.S. 
uh, torpedo bombers and, and fighters and, and bombers that were deployed from the carriers and from the landing strip at Midway. What was our, so, m- our main uh, fighter plane at that point? Uh, it was the uh, it was called the the Hellcat, uh, and it, actually that was our best one. But some of the uh, fighters on on Midway were uh, what was known as Brewster Buffaloes, and they were much slower, didn't carry as much armament, and so on and so forth. And they pretty much got wiped out in in the first uh, Japanese attack. And that attack started on the uh, on the fourth of of June. And uh, Nagumo didn't know where our carriers were. He knew there were some in the area, but he went ahead with the attack anyway. And so the first uh, Japanese carrier planes attacked Midway and just had devastating results. Most of the planes and the facilities were destroyed, uh, but the airship was airstrip was still functional. So the Japanese air group leader said, uh, we got to do another attack on Midway uh, to, to knock out the airstrip. And Nagumo, who had all his planes on with anti-ship bombs, decided to uh, to change the bombs out. And this and this is shown in the movie Midway, and it's pretty accurate. Uh, and in the midst of changing out the bombs, all of a sudden, uh, U.S. Uh, carrier uh, bombers, dive bombers, show up, and in the space of about six minutes, take out three Japanese aircraft carriers. Mm. And and was this, did we know this to be happening because we had broken their codes or, or was it just happenstance that we had this incredible good fortune? A a lot of it was luck. And, and, uh, you know, the, the carrier operations weren't really sophisticated yet. And some, we didn't, we, we didn't know where their planes were. This is before there was, satellite radar and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So, I mean, some of the, the uh, carrier planes just went off on a mission to nowhere and, and didn't find them. And uh, it just so happened that uh, two carrier uh, air groups happened to find uh, Nagumo's carriers at the same time huh. and attacked from different directions. So, in, in, in rough terms, what was the range of a plane leaving one of our carriers? Um, they could probably go three or 400 miles, oh. but if you went 200 miles out, you had to go yeah. 200 miles back. <laughs> so <laughs> somewhere between 150 and 200 miles they could go, though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so uh, and, and so a lot of our, our planes uh, didn't find anything and had to go back so, uh, to their carriers. Uh, but- Bigelow, we've got to take a break because we've got to come back, hear from our great sponsors, and then come back with the weather. Uh, and then I want to, you know, all right. So we, we've 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 done almost a knockout punch as the uh, Japanese were retooling and get to three carriers, and let's take it from there when we come back. Rick Bigelow, our uh, uh, Asian, he's just our Asian military expert. He's with us. We're going to talk more about the Battle of Midway, the crucial Battle of Midway in World War II. We'll be back on the Bob Cadaro Show. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. 
Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from meteorologist Valerie Smock. Today, partly sunny with some haze, scattered showers and thunderstorms this afternoon, high of 68. Tonight, partly to mostly cloudy, showers, low of 48. Tomorrow, partly sunny with some haze, isolated showers or a thunderstorm, high of 78. That's Saturday. Sunday, partly sunny, it's going to be 83. Monday, cloudy and breezy with isolated showers and thunderstorms, high of 79. Uh, we're joined by Rick Bigelow talking about, uh, World War II and, uh, the Battle of Midway, which was decisive. So Rick Bigelow, the Japanese arrayed four fleet carriers, two battleships, three cruisers, 12 destroyers, 16 submarines, and 248 carrier-based aircraft. We had three fleet carriers uh, eight cruisers, 15 destroyers, 233 carrier-based aircraft, and 127 land-based aircraft on Midway. So we quickly, as they retool, knock out three carriers. Wow. Did I? Oh, I didn't. I didn't there you are, Richard. What happened? Did we lose you, Rick? We, we, we lost Rick for ju- – all right, there we are, Rick. There we are, Rick. Somehow we're, we've, we're having some technical difficulties on our end. But All right, so I, I don't know if you heard me. I, I just – I merely stated what you had sent me, which was the array of forces against each other uh, on opposite sides of the island of Midway and on Midway for us. So we quickly knock out three carriers. I mean, this is <laughs> – I mean, in six minutes, this is the war. This is the battle, rather. Right. Yeah, so the, the Japanese have uh, one carrier left, and uh, at this point in time, they decided that they're still going to go after the U.S. carriers. So they uh, they launch a strike, and they they uh, hit the Yorktown, uh, and they hit it twice, and, and basically the, uh, the uh, Yorktown eventually sinks. But at the same time that they're hitting the Yorktown, uh, American carrier planes from the Enterprise uh, hit the Hiryu and uh, and hit it uh, devastatingly, and eventually the Hiryu sinks. So the Japanese, in the space of about uh, six or seven hours, have lost all four of their top carriers. Wow. And and so you know the uh, the invasion force that was supposed to attack and uh, and take midway uh turns around and heads back to japan mm. so they basically the uh, the uh, whole battle of, of midway is over 
<clears throat> the losses, like I said, the Japanese lost four carriers and one cruiser. Um, about 250 carrier aircraft were destroyed uh, or lost at sea. They had over 3,000 killed in action, and uh, 37 of the pilots who had to ditch uh, were were retrieved and, and taken as prisoners of war. Of course, after the four carriers sunk, uh, there were still Japanese planes up in the air, and they had nowhere to land. So they, they just had to ditch into the ocean. Uh, some were picked up, and, and some weren't. On the other hand, we suffered one carrier lost, one destroyer, 150 aircraft, uh, about 300 killed in action, and uh, three prisoners. Uh, those three prisoners were all executed by the Japanese. So the, the aftermath of the battle, it was absolutely a devastating loss for Japan. It was such a bad loss that uh, the wounded who uh, were sent back to Japan uh, were quarantined. They weren't allowed to say anything to the Japanese public uh, men who had been on ships that had been at Midway were sent to far out, uh, far flung Asian uh, ports and and, uh, and facilities so that they couldn't let the uh, general public in Japan know what had happened. Yeah. And it wasn't, it, the Japanese press was just like uh, Baghdad Bob in the, uh, in the <laughs> Iraq war. They, they said it was a great victory. Uh, we took the Aleutian Islands. And, oh, yeah, there was a little activity at Midway, but that was no big deal. And it wasn't until months later that they actually talked about the uh, the carriers being sunk. Well, so this opens the door. I mean, the, the gates open now for us to start to reconquer these islands. Right. Hmm. And, I, you know, if you look at it, if, if uh, they had taken Midway, they would have neutralized to a large impact of uh, Hawaii. And I, I don't think the Guadalcanal campaign could have happened because if they still had their carriers, uh, when the Marines landed at, uh, at Guadalcanal, they would have been uh, isolated and probably probably wiped out at, uh, at Guadalcanal. So I'm, I don't even know if that would have happened. It would have taken years for, for us to uh, reconstitute and, and start the, uh, the march back across the Pacific. So this partial this partial victory at Coral Sea, some serendipitous decision making by the Japanese, the theft and um, breaking of a Japanese naval code, and then some just some pure good l- fortune that they were retooling their uh, planes when we attacked, and their world history changes. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, this was a turning point, and combined with uh, what happened at Guadalcanal and and uh, what MacArthur was doing in in New Guinea, uh, it, it just uh, it, th- those were the events that really turned uh, World War II around in the Pacific. And from this point on, it was inevitable that we would win and Japan would lose. It was just a matter of time. And and we're also turning up the arsenal of. Uh democracy to heights that had never been seen in in the on the world stage that's uh, right we 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 uh we supplied england we probably supplied half the equipment that went to russia 
and the Soviet Union. And plus, uh, we, we uh, gave a lot of material and equipment to the Chinese uh, and also uh, to the what was left of the, the Dutch people in, in uh, the Dutch East Indies. So we supplied everybody. It was amazing. The sleeping giant had been awoken. Rick Bigelow, thank you so much for this midway uh, recitation. Uh, uh, quite amazing and just, I mean, our whole history depended upon it. It's it's amazing. Uh, right. I, I appreciate it. And I, what's our next, uh, what's our next uh, lesson? I think uh, next week, late next week, we'll talk about the uh, campaign in the Marianas, which is, Guam, Saipan, and Tinian. All right. Well, I thank you so much for being with us today. As always, fascinating and informative. Appreciate it, Rick Bigelow. Glad to do it, Bob. You go go back to patent law for, for now. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Rick Bigelow, uh, historian, military historian extraordinaire. We'll take a break. We'll be back on the Bob Cadaro Show. We're back. That's my love. Paul McCartney and Wings, the number one hit this date, 1973. Let's go to Andrew. He's been beyond patient. Andrew, how are you? Hey, how was your time in Taylor? Sounded fun. You were hanging out in Taylor. Absolutely fantastic. I had a crush on the mayor of Taylor. And um, (laughs) also in the running were Wilkes-Barre and Scranton. But, uh, all cute mayors, but Scranton, they're too into abortion and, you know, invited. And especially in Wilkesbury, they're too much, uh, you know, hung up on late-term abortion. So their stock fell. And also, they're kind of phony, to tell you the truth, because when they're on camera, they're much nicer. But then off camera, they're, they're more standoffish and smug, just to let the people know on the inside track. <laughs> but uh, the... Uh, Taylor Mayor, what I didn't like also was that her last name is Polish, like my wife is Ski, S-K-Y, and, I, and she's Asian. I was like, oh, cool, an Asian person with an S-K-Y. And she said, well, that's her maiden name, and she was adopted by Polish people. Then she started complaining that her adopted parents didn't make Korean food on Thanksgiving. And I was just thinking, you know, lady, they adopted you and loved you like their own when you're <laughs> well, biological parents. <laughs> you well, know, so that turned we, me off. But we, I'm sorry to digress. And we, you did digress, and, and you digress to the point where we're out of time. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> tomorrow, my friend, though. <laughs> we'll be back. <laughs> Remember this? Clint Holmes, he moved to number five this date, 1973, with his hit Playground in My Mind. Bob Cadero back with you here on WILK. Breitbart has a report. And I I just want to read it because it is astonishing if it turns out to be provable. My own belief is that it's true, but is it provable? Now, before we get to that... Um, two things. Big Steve texted him, Billy Koval with poetry, huh? LOL. <laughs> and Big Steve, this is a great book. Oh, that's O-H, Oh, Secret Silence. 
a collection of my poems and a few good short stories by William R. Koval, my buddy Billy. Fascinating and, and, and good stuff and uplifting, too. Uh, by the way, quickly, we also want to thank the Marjan Golf Course, where I'm, I can't wait to play this weekend. Uh, it's going to be a great, great day, and the weather looks perfect. Dunmore, well, it's in, 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 like a today, so what? If it rains, I just go off the course. Dunmore Lumber Company, the Big Box Blues. Beat the Big Box Blues. Let's remember our servicemen. Gerald Hoover, late of Sweet Valley. Edward Sinkevich, late of Old Forge, born Scranton. Joseph Butters Mancuso, also of Old Forge. Gerard Brecky, Hazelton. William Cover, Avoca. Tim Welling, Durier. We'll talk a little bit more about them next hour as well. So Elise Stefanik, who's the House Republican Conference Chair, if you remember her. Uh, she's a New York City congresswoman, Staten Island being one of the places she serves. And, no, I'm sorry, she's upstate. I apologize. But that's actually irrelevant. But uh, she's the one that uh, beat the odious um, Liz Cheney for that position. And that was part of getting rid of Liz Cheney, thank God. Anyway, she comes out with this statement. She said, the exact same day that the FBI is forced to turn over to Congress absolutely damning and credible allegations regarding Joe Biden's illegal, egregious, and treasonous corruption, Joe Biden weaponizes his Department of Justice to indict Donald Trump, Stefanik said. The American people are smart and understand that this is the epitome of the illegal and unprecedented weaponization of the federal government against Joe Biden's leading opponent, President Donald J. Trump. She adds, in 2024, we will vote like this country has never seen before, and we will elect President Trump back to the White House to save America. Now, the story from Breitbart continues. And I've found them to be, they're they're, uh, very conservative, but I've found them, when they do something, they nail it. Uh, because they know they're under the spotlight. So this this same story continues. On Thursday afternoon, House Oversight Committee Republicans told reporters after reviewing uh, an FBI's informant's file that an FBI informant claimed to possess two pieces of evidence that showed Joe Biden received $5 million after threatening to withhold aid to Ukraine until a prosecutor probing the Ukrainian energy company at Burisma Holdings was fired. Remember, that's Hunter Biden's company. I had not heard it tied to a specific issue, and now they're telling us and and alleging that it has to do with that famous Burisma boast where Joe Biden says you don't get the billion-dollar loan guarantees if you don't fire the prosecutor who happened to be investigating Burisma. Hunter Biden's company. Uh, Representative Anna Luna, Republican of Florida, told reporters after looking at the document, there's no doubt in my mind that Joe Biden is guilty of bribery 100%. She continued, there was two separate transactions. One that went to Joe Biden for $5 million, one that went for Hunt, to Hunter Biden for $5 million. These bombshell allegations come after the FBI refused to allow House members to review the document. 
and then eventually did. Now they did. Representative Nancy Mace, a Republican of South Carolina, if she, she, you've, I've seen her, and I, I really do respect her. She says, I try to call, I don't know the other, uh, uh, the, this last congressperson, uh, but Nancy Mace says, I try to call the balls and strikes, I try to call it right down the middle. It's unforgivable that the FBI won't tell us what they've done to investigate this. It's undeniable that this is serious. This is legitimate. And I got to tell you, if she says this, Mace, she's no, she's no flamethrower. And, and now the you essentially have people and, and a direct action taken in return for what they're saying they've got proof of. Five million bucks to Joe Biden, five million to Hunter. Remember, the only ones that have the bank record, because the FBI didn't care to get them, is the House Oversight Committee. Fascinating. This is, uh, well, we're going to see. I don't want to say too good to be true because it will be sad at the same time. But we once you know Joe Biden has sold his office and his influence, once you know it, and we do, Anybody who claims they don't is a fool, and they're lying to you. I mean, again, how does Joe Biden's granddaughter get money from Romania after Joe Biden takes over that uh, country in his portfolio? What did she do? What service did she provide? What service did his daughter-in-law provide? No, this this is an unraveling, incredibly unethical family. And so he's caught red-handed being unethical. You have to tie the quid pro quo, meaning the action for the money. And is the Burisma action sufficient? And do they have proof? But if they have proof of Biden getting five million bucks from Ukrainian sources, that will tell you all you need to know. I'm I'm fascinated by this. We'll we'll see. They may have taken a major step forward, which may be why the Trump indictment came out yesterday. We'll take a break for the news. We'll be back. WYLK News Radio. This is the Bob Cordaro Show podcast. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.